When my son was very young, our firstborn, I would take him on a Saturday morning to give my wife a break, and I would uh, pack him up in a pushchair, which I was corrected at the nine, is called a stroller in this country. Stroller. And I would take him on a dad adventure every Saturday morning. We'd go to Hyde Park in the middle of London, and in the middle of Hyde Park is this incredible playground with all these sorts of swings and climbing frames. And on Saturday mornings, if you were to go there, even I would suggest this Saturday morning, if you were to go there, you would see a lot of tired dads and mums sitting around the edge of this playground, just kind of collapsed. And there are hundreds of kids, like a mass of ants, all over this climbing frame. It was there that I recognized a very strange phenomenon. Every now and again, in the midst of all of the shouts of joy and screams and laughter, we would have this moment when a sound of terror would pierce the joy, as a child had fallen from the climbing frame and hit the ground. And out of all of the parents circled around this playground, one, only one, would get up, run into the mess, and retrieve their screaming, crying child. It's there that I recognize, isn't it amazing how parents know the sound of their children's voice? Children know the sounds of their parents' voice. Our God is a God of communication and conversation. And just like a parent to a child, you and I have been created to hear his voice. Yet some of the most constant laments I get from people in pastoral conversations go like this. God never seems to speak to me. No matter how hard I try, I never hear God's voice. Everyone else seems to have a hotline to God but me. Anyone know that feeling? So many of us go through our spiritual lives thinking that God's silence is because we've done something wrong. He's angry. He's punishing us. Eventually, many of us just give up believing that hearing God's only for the super spiritual pastors or weirdos, and I know sometimes they're the same person. <laughs> this morning, I want to look at the struggle to discern God's voice and hope to identify some of the ways in which we can create an environment to learn to hear, discern, and practice hearing his voice. It was and is God's original desire and design that you and I would live in intimate conversational relationship, walking and talking with our creator. Right at the beginning of God's story in chapter 3 of Genesis, we get this picture of relational intimacy and conversation in the garden. Chapter 3, verses 8 to 9 of Genesis says this. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden, in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to man, where are you? In the midst of the creation narrative, we get this image of intimate conversation between God and his creation. He walked and talked with Adam and Eve, and Adam and Eve walked and talked with him. And throughout the Bible, this theme of God communicating with his creation is seen over and over and over again. He calls Abraham to pick up his belongings and leave home and go to a place where he directs him. He spoke to Joseph through dreams, Moses through a burning bush, Gideon through a fleece, and called out to Samuel when he was a young boy. Through dreams, visions, circumstances, angelic visitations, clouds, 
and fire. God was the great shepherd who constantly spoke, called, named, gave identity, purpose, and guidance to his children. Do you know God in that way? This relational intimacy of conversation between God and his people is what Jesus refers to in the Gospel of John, chapter 10, verses 2 to 5, with the metaphor of sheep and shepherd. Look at these words of Jesus. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he's brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him. Because why? Because they know his voice. God was the shepherd who spoke and led his people to freedom through the Red Sea and the wilderness. Moses was shepherding when confronted with the burning bush. David, the shepherd boy, took on the giant Goliath and became one of Israel's greatest kings. Joshua, Solomon, and the voices of the prophets all acted as shepherds and guides, speaking and directing God's people. These were the story that God's children grew up with. They were raised with these stories that our God is a God who communicates, He speaks. He guides, he gives identity, he calls, he gives purpose. They all pointed to a relationship of communication between a great shepherd and his sheep, between God and his people. God never intended that our relationship with him be a mystery that somehow if we just kind of, if we just perform and get there and just kind of crack the secret code that we'd hear from him. Never intended to be like that. And Jesus is describing the nature of a relationship. He doesn't describe it with a PhD or a doctrinal thesis on epiphanies. He doesn't use some secret mystical language for an in-group. He uses a metaphor of sheep and a shepherd. And guess what? Sheep are really simple animals. I'm a simple animal. I'm a simple animal. And sheep are vulnerable, simple, and dependent upon the shepherd. We may have lost this language a little bit in the city of L.A., but to the people listening in Jesus' day, they knew exactly what he was referring to. To this day, you can go into the Middle East and see shepherds going into crowded sheepfolds, calling out their own sheep, and their sheep will recognize their voice and leave others and follow their shepherd. This is a real domestic example Jesus was using to make the point that this stuff is real. God speaks to his creation and his creation have the gift of learning how God speaks to them. God's created you and I for the same sort of relationship, which includes the natural God-given ability to hear and recognize his voice. And he can speak to us in more ways than we can possibly imagine or conceive. I'm just going to mention a few 
of the more common ways he communicates. He speaks through the word. He speaks through his Bible. In my early 20s, in June of 1990, I was sitting at a table in an apartment in Paris when I opened this book for the first time. I'd never read it before in my life. I'd never been to church before in my life. I had no intention whatsoever of becoming a Christian. In fact, I pretty much hated Christianity and everything to do with organized religion. I opened this book for the first time in my life. My eyes caught a verse in the Old Testament, and I read these words. My son, do not be negligent now, for the Lord has chosen you to stand before him. And all I could describe happening was it was as if those words were the only words on the page and they went bold. And as my eyes caught them, literally, I got overwhelmed. It was like a liquid capsule of love completely filled this hole in my soul. And I was completely overwhelmed with the presence of God. I started to shake. I started to cry. Completely overwhelmed with the power and love of God. Out of nowhere... The voice of God penetrated my heart with his presence. I was filled and called to follow him. There is power in this book. Power to transform and change lives. And if you slow down enough and quiet all the other voices, you'll hear the voice of God whisper to you and you'll learn to recognize his voice through the text. All the other ways God speaks to us have to be washed through his word. In other words, does what we think God is telling us, does it match with the character and guidelines of what we see in the book, in the story? We should all have places in our Bibles that are highlighted, that are marked, that are places where we have met with the risen God, where he has spoken to us and we've dated them, we've underlined them, we've highlighted them, we've camped out there because he's used a verse to speak to us at a particular time, a particular place, in a particular season of our life. And we can go back to those places over and over and over again to remind ourselves that this is how God speaks. Do you have those places in your Bibles? Over the last few months, I've been processing some deep pain. And I've picked up a particular practice which has just been transformed um, how I read the Bible. I've known about it for some time, never actually applied it to myself. And I've decided to sit down every morning for the last few months and I've just read small chunks of Scripture. As important as it is to study God's words, sometimes we need to just slow down and soak in a verse or two. They're very, very familiar. I'll read them to you. Psalm 23, verse 1 to 3. The Lord is my shepherd. I'm dependent on him. I'm a simple animal. He's my shepherd. I shall not want. Oh, God, that I could be that content that I don't have that desire of wanting constantly nagging at my soul. He makes me lie down in grief pastures he leads me beside still waters and then these three words have completely transformed me he restores my soul he can gather the fragmented pieces of our soul if we sit for long enough and soak in his word and pull them back together and make them whole again 
God sometimes speaks to us in visions, pictures, or impressions throughout the Bible and church history. People have recorded God speaking to them through visions, moving images, still images, dreams, or words. Visions in the mind occur when the Lord projects images onto the screen of our imaginations. The story of Peter's visit to Cornelius in Acts chapter 10, 9 to 13 is a classic example. The most common way God uses vision is more of an internal sense with our spiritual eyes as opposed to the physical, but it carries with it that weight of that sense, that sort of aha, there's something about this image, it goes into our mind, what is that? It just strikes us as something different from a normal train of thought. I want to encourage you that it could well be that God's trying to get your attention and trying to speak to you. Little exercise. Everyone close your eyes. I want to encourage you, close your eyes. And I want you to see an image in your imagination of the Eiffel Tower. The Eiffel Tower. Everyone got that? Little picture of the Eiffel Tower. Right, open your eyes. When you saw the Eiffel Tower, it's because I put it in your imagination. I want to suggest it's as simple as that. God does the very same thing. He can give us a picture in our imagination that's from him that he's trying to communicate with us. Now close your eyes again. I'm going to ask you to rewind that video image of Neil Armstrong walking on the moon, whether you believe it or not. (laughs) Just joking. (laughs) that's a disruption close your eyes (laughs) close your eyes and just run that image that moving picture of that step on the moon in your imagination now open them again in the same way God can use moving images just like a kaleidoscope of something shifting through our imagination that has that sense of an aha there is something different about this image after a few, uh, a few years ago, I was speaking at a church when a woman came up to speak to me. And as she started to speak to me, she started to kind of break down emotionally, completely unravel in front of me. She said, I've never been to this church before. What on earth is happening? I thought, uh-oh, I'm in trouble. And she said she responded to coming forward to be prayed for. A young member of the prayer team, a young girl came up to pray for her. She put her hand on her. They waited for a few moments. And then the girl said, I have this really weird picture. And I don't know if it's from God or not, but I want to share it with you. She said, I see a woman. And she's walking through a field of purple and white flowers. And as she's walking, she's looking down at her feet. And then she's looking up at the sky and she's crying with joy. As she told me this picture, she then completely unraveled. And I was reaching for tissues She said, a few weeks ago, my mother died. She was wheelchair-bound because the condition she had meant that her feet were completely bloated, out of proportion, profoundly painful, and all covered in blisters. Her favorite flower was irises, which for those of you that know, are purple and white flowers. And as she told me this, she said she completely broke. She was given an image, what she believed she was given an image of her mum 
walking through a field of her favorite flowers, looking at her feet because she could walk again. The young girl on the prayer team had no idea what that picture meant. I could stand here and keep you here until four in the afternoon with story after story after story after story after story of that sort, of God in his grace and his mercy piercing someone's darkness with a word of hope, with a word that says, I know you intimately. I know what you're going through. A word of consolation and hope in the midst of darkness. God can speak to us through nature and creation. How many here feel closer to God when they're in nature? Wow. There you go. Do you know that it could well be that that's one of the primary channels God uses to speak to you? When you're in nature and you get that sense that God is with you, it could well be you need to pause for a little longer than you anticipate because he has things to say to you. How many of you jog when you pray? I'm going to pray for you later. (laughs) I can't run and pray at the same time. If I pray, it's just, Lord, help me stay alive. (laughs) Psalm 19, 1 and 2 says this, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. Recently, some of you may have seen on my Instagram, recently, as last week, I went on a hike to Yosemite with two men, one called Gare Jones and the other Joe Francis. I named them because they nearly killed me. We, we, we went from the valley floor for an 18-mile hike to as high as 6,332 feet. Today is the first day I've got grown-up shoes on because my feet are so damaged by the hike. They nearly killed me, I'm telling you. I'm not joking. There was a moment on the hike when you, I mean, you know Yosemite, it's just outstandingly beautiful. And there was a moment on the hike when we turned a corner and it just opened up and we could see the whole of, we were looking down, looking down on the whole of the valley and it just took my breath away. I was completely overwhelmed with the presence and wonder humbled in front of incredible, glorious, awesome nature of God. It could also be that I was having an emotional moment because I thought I was dying. (laughs) (laughs) Creation is one of the most powerful ways God can communicate with us. Then there's the still small voice. For me, this is the most common. The voice of God can often be heard through an inaudible inner sense, often referred to as the still, small voice of God. Listen to this familiar story of Elijah from the book of Kings. 1 Kings chapter 19, 11 to 13. You'll know these words. The Lord said to Elijah, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord. For the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountain apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. 
When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face. He went and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? When people whisper to us, we lean in to hear what they're saying. So often, God whispers to you and I because he's wooing us to lean in more deeply to him. God uses seasons of silence to make us frustratingly hungry for more of him. Sometimes the only way to ensure we hear the gentle whisper or see the signs of God speaking to us is to slow down enough to give him the space to speak. We all run too fast. Brennan Manning tells this wonderful story of a pastor named Mike Iaconelli who, when exhausted, dejected, and demoralized, went on retreat. He says this, It took only a few hours of silence before I began to hear my soul speaking. It only took being alone for a short period of time for me to discover I wasn't alone. God had been trying to shout over the noisiness of my life, and I couldn't hear him. But in the stillness and solitude, his whispers shouted from my soul, Michael, I am here. I have been calling you, but you haven't been listening. Can you hear me, Michael? I love you. I have always loved you. And I've been waiting for you to hear me say that to you. But you've been so busy trying to prove to yourself that you are loved, that you've not heard me. I heard him. He goes on to say, and my slumbering soul was filled with the joy of the prodigal son. My soul was awakened by a loving father who had been looking and waiting for me. I can almost guarantee to you in a room this full courtyard or at home that some of you, some of you, God is waiting, is looking, is longing and is wooing you to stop and slow down enough to hear him say, I love you. God can also communicate through words of knowledge, angelic visitations, art, films, billboards, family, friends, counselors, circumstances, even through our enemies. And when he speaks, he speaks to encourage comfort, Warn, strengthen, demonstrate concern, give direction, purify, prepare for difficult seasons and prophesy, just to name a few. The challenge is to learn to discern the shepherd's voice in the midst of all the other competing voices in our culture. We're surrounded by a cacophony of voices and messages from the moment we wake up, from the moment we leave our front door. We are literally bombarded by voices, messages from social media to commercials, to television, to films, to news, to friends, to colleagues, to friends, the agendas. It's endless. That's just the outer voices. What about the inner voices? How many of us have multiple inner voices that we listen to. And they're often the hardest ones 
to quiet. Voices from the past. Voices from the present. Even voices that speak fear into our future. These are often the negative voices. Words spoken over us. Fears, hurts, pain. And unfortunately, the negative voices, whether we like it or not, unfortunately, the negative voices are often the loudest voices that speak into our lives. The amount of times I sit with people and they download their story and I hear the narrative and then I hear the words being spoken over them over and over again and they're still living with them. Years later, we can live under words, under voices spoken over us from parents or loved ones. You're no good. You're just like your brother. You're just like your father. You'll never amount to anything. You stupid girl. You stupid boy. Those voices, they're the ones we listen to. And God is longing for us to shut those voices down, to help us to shut those voices down, to speak an alternative narrative over your life. The first question we need to ask ourselves when it comes to discerning God's voice is what other voices am I listening to and which ones are the loudest? Some of us are living under the power of negative voices spoken over us when we were young and these voices act as God-canceling headphones. They just cut his voice out. So we need to unlearn these voices. We need to recognize them, call them out, name them for what they are, and unlearn those voices and learn to hear his. Lastly, we allow disappointments with circumstances or others to determine our reality. And these disappointments can convince us that God doesn't care, isn't listening, or isn't speaking. Sometimes our lives don't turn out the way we hoped or expected. Mine certainly hasn't. Can circumstances or God's purposes for a life change? Absolutely. Does God say, follow me and I'll promise you, you'll have a disappointment-free life? Absolutely not. But does God know what we go through? And does he have things to say to us in the midst of these moments? Absolutely yes. Are you listening? In fact, my experience is that in these moments, it's sometimes when God speaks the loudest, not just in the way I expect. But we must never let disappointments determine the reality of our relationship with God. I'm going to call it out. If you're in a pity party or a sulk with God, I'm really good at that stuff. I sulk all the time, you know, cross your arms, yeah, whatever. Yeah, whatever, Lord, you know. And we can live like that for months, years. If you're in that place, break it open. He can take our anger. He can take our disappointments. He can take our frustration. But if we turn our backs and shut off the voice, then we're no good to anybody, least of all him. And he's desperate that we turn around. Shout at him if you have to. Have you read the Psalms? We need to keep coming back to the great shepherd and be still for long enough to let him wash away the disappointments of the past, speak words of identity, security, purpose, and love over us until it's his voice that drowns out all the other voices we listen to. Henry Nouwen, one of my favorite authors, says this, every time you listen with great attentiveness to that voice that calls you beloved, you will discover within yourself a desire to hear that voice longer and more deeply. I'm so deeply thankful, so deeply thankful for that voice that called me out in June of 1990 in Paris. 
that called me out, that pierced my darkness and called me beloved. And I've made it my life's goal, and I ain't perfect at it whatsoever, but I've made it my life's goal to stay as close as I can to that voice because I know it's the only voice that offers hope and promise future security, identity and purpose. What about you? I'm going to invite us right now to ask ourselves some questions. I'm going to invite you to close your eyes. Be still for a moment. And this is a prayer exercise that I've done multiple times. Every now and again, I press pause. I go back to this place and I ask myself these questions. And you might want to practice this in the days and weeks ahead. First question. What voices are you listening to most right now in your life? What voices are you listening to most right now in your life? They could be inner voices, they could be outer voices. Think about your days and your weeks and your months. Think about the voices that are influencing you, that are speaking to you. Which voice is the loudest? Which voice is the loudest? And for some people, it's really helpful to name the loudest voice. Particularly if it's a negative one. Name the voice. What is that voice saying to you? Are they saying good things to you or bad things to you? Maybe it's your own voice. For some of you, the loudest voice you'll be listening to will be your inner critic who never lets you flourish. Lastly, If Jesus was to walk into this sanctuary this morning and was to walk up to you and you were to gaze in his eyes, what do you think he would say to you? What the Father says to Jesus at his baptism, he says to us, you are my beloved daughter. I delight in you. You are my beloved son. I am pleased with you. Let his voice be the one that speaks into your life, into your heart, into your soul. Learn to sit, be still and hear his voice.